0: Welcome back to the Border Mail Sport Podcast. I'm Steve Tervit. They say life is never just black and white, but our guest today might beg to differ. Drafted to Collingwood as a 17-year-old, he spent 14 years as an AFL footballer and achieved the ultimate success in 2010 by winning the replayed grand final against St Kilda. He's got a different magpie on his jumper these days, having decided to follow up his first season in the Ovens and Murray by coaching Wangaratta for the next two years. So, Ben Reid, thanks for joining us on the pod. How are you?
1: Thanks for having me on, Steve. i going well.
0: It's that time of year already, pre-season. How are things going? Do you feel ready?
1: It is. It's, uh, it comes around quicker than you'd, you'd probably like. Um, but, yeah, look, I think we've got a really, really strong sort of group ready to go. Um, you know, now now the hard work starts, really, and the boys can jump into it and, um, and set ourselves up.
0: What have the last few months been like for you, getting <clears throat> plans in place and preparing to lead the club into 2022?
1: Yeah, look, more so just getting the guys, um, I suppose, re-signed, um, getting a couple of recruits in, uh, getting training organised, um, new drills, um, and just and just creating a, a fun environment. And after the last two years, it's been really hard to, I suppose, get the boys. Um, I don't know whether it's up and about or what it is. It's just it's a funny time of year and a funny couple of years where they got some guys have maybe fallen away a little bit. Um, so it's probably just more about getting the whole group together and getting that culture type thing. Everyone likes to talk about culture, but really it's just getting guys together enjoying themselves and um, that'll be a massive focus for us early in the pre-season.
0: I've spoken to coaches in the past and as much as we in the media probably focus on recruitment as something that you're looking to bring players in from outside the club, they said it it starts with recruiting the players that you've already got. How true is that and how big a process has that been?
1: Yeah I mean you probably look at it and go look we get our first and foremost get all the guys inside the club signed up first um, and then we sort of look outside it. Uh, we tried to get that done as quick as we could this year, um, which we, by majority, were able to do. Um, there's probably still a few we've got to tidy up, but um, most of that was done uh, pretty early in the piece. And and to have, I suppose, you know, guys like Callum Moore, um, Joe Richards, Abraham Anchors, um, you know, Brad Melville, these guys all resign. Um, yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a good result for the club, and, and it holds you in good stead knowing that you've you've got guys that already brought so much to the table, ready to go again. What
0: have the guys got to look forward to in terms of the next few weeks? And was pre-season a time that you as a player dreaded or that you looked forward to?
1: Um, a bit of both, a bit of both. I mean, you probably you probably dreaded the old time trials and, and all those sort of things, but um, the stuff you did look forward to was just getting back amongst each other. And um, the best thing about uh, pre-season is no one's ever played a bad game in pre-season because it's, it's almost impossible. So everyone's on a starting and level playing field. Um, so you, you get back out there, you, you put your best foot forward, uh, and that's all we can really do in pre-season is, is try and get fitter than you were the year before, try and get stronger than you were the year before, and um, and just continue to improve. Um, that's basically what pre-seasons are, are built on, and um, the boys with no doubt are trying to do that. And then uh, and yeah, there might be a few dreading some certain things. You know, you don't know how some guys look after themselves, but um, look, I'm sure the majority are, uh, are ready to go and, and looking forward to it.
0: Let's rewind the clock a few years. What are your earliest footballing memories? Because your dad was coaching in a role at Bright when you were quite small, is that right?
1: Yeah, so he was a thirds coach um, for Bright when I was, um, oh, I must have been 10 or 11, I reckon. And my earliest memories really are uh, him training the boys and I'm just kicking the footy on the sidelines, um, just watching you know, the guys who you probably looked up to when you were 10 or 11, which are the 18-year-olds who played in your local club. And then as you got older up, looked up to the senior guys in your local club and, and that sort of thing and then um, and then AFL obviously as well but yeah my early childhood memories has always been down the bright footy ground and, and kicking the footy around there and um, and then doing Oz kick and you know even playing half time of the, the senior games yeah. at Bright now yeah, all that sort of stuff you remember um, but yeah they're, they're the early early childhood memories that's for sure.
0: As a junior were you always one of the taller kids on the team?
1: I wasn't I probably had a growth spurt um, when I was 14-15 four, um and and I, I played to be honest um i did play center four and four footballs I, I played on ball as well on the wing i actually played my thirds um when i was over over the road here at the rovers i played on a wing um so you know i probably had a bit of a growth spurt yeah in my later teenage years and um and went down to uh went down to melbourne when i got drafted um, i think only about 78 kilos so i wasn't weighing too much at all so it was um yeah i, I grew pretty quickly um and had had a fair bit of development to do in my body, that's for sure.
0: Did you play other sports as well?
1: Played a bit of cricket. Um, wasn't very good at it. Uh, played some basketball. So played for the Langrata Warriors here in the rep stuff, uh, which I loved, all that sort of stuff. That was probably a highlight of my, my growing up, was playing in the basketball stuff. It's a really, really good, fun time. We'd go away for weekends together in Bendigo as a team. Um, i to talked um, all around the region, really, um, and played basketball with, you know, 10-year mates, and it, it was a great time.
0: You mentioned getting drafted. Tell me about that day.
1: Different um, to what it is now, where I think from memory back then they maybe invited fifteen blokes maybe along to the to the draft night. Uh, wasn't the coverage wasn't anywhere near it's like today. I think we were on the old wireless. Um, don't even know we had wireless then. It might have been the old dialer, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and uh, and then we just listen, watch that on the computer screen. I remember basically just sitting there. I had probably ten or fifteen mates around and. Um, I was sitting there eating bacon eggs at the time and my, my name's been yelled out and they've all erupted around the computer and I'm sort of like, what's going on? Where have I gone? And um, yeah, called out to Collingwood and then I think about two minutes later I had a, I had a phone call um, from someone, from, well, what I thought it was, Mick Moldhouse at the time, um, rang me up and congratulated me and I was sort of like, oh, bullshit, it's not you and blah, 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 and all sort of thing and sort of said a few other things and then and then I said, no, it's, it is, I'm like, oh, it really is Mick, and then it, it turned out to be Ben Johnson, Alan Didek ringing me up and putting a joke on me <laughs> <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as I was drafted. So all those bits of things you remember, and I think that's a great thing about footy clubs. Always have a joke and take the piss and the Mickey out of you a little bit, and um, and then it did follow up with a call from Mick after that. But yeah, um, yeah it was a it was a special day, and to, and I was you know two days later I was down in Melbourne.
0: So it was really that quick.
1: Yeah, I literally I think the draft was on the on the Saturday, whatever it was, and then. Um, yeah, Monday morning I was down in Melbourne and, uh, at, at the Lexus Centre and, um, you know, walk in there and Nathan Buckley, Anthony Rocker, um, James Clement, Josh Fraser, guys like that, or who you've looked up to um, before you got drafted, uh, you're suddenly in the change rooms with them. So it's, um, yeah, it's certainly a daunting time, but one that's um, very exciting at the same time how do you find that process
0: as a teenager Blake's, that you just reeled off that you would have watched week in week out on the tv suddenly you're running out to train alongside them was it sink or swim
1: yeah it was i mean we got chucked in straight away i think we might have been chucked straight into a time trial um when we got there straight into training um with them and it is a little bit of sink or swim that the boys these days through the murray wool trainers programs are a lot more ready than what we probably were back then. Uh, the pathway now is a lot better than it used to be. So for us then, it was it really was you know a bit of a a, bit of a whirlwind where you sort of jump in there and um, you don't really know what's gonna happen. Uh, you don't know what's involved. Where the boys now probably get drip fed a little bit of what's involved at AFL level. Mm. Um, we had really no idea and um, I was 17, so I was still in year 11 when I went down. Um, so I still had a lot of growing up to doing um, emotionally as well as physically. Uh, and I was able to, I suppose, lucky to be drafted with two other guys who were 17 as well at the time. Um, so we lived together and, and made that transition a tad easier. So
0: physically and mentally, how long do you think it took for you to really feel that you were ready to be an AFL footballer?
1: I oh, yeah, two, three, four years—a little while. Um, probably more so just knowing how to train at that elite level. When when you come through from, especially from the country, like you know, from a small town in bright. Um, you don't get a lot of hands-on stuff with, with AFL players and or know what it's like. You know, I, I learned a lot in my first couple of years away. I had to go about things, and um, you know, it took me you know, until I was twenty-one probably, and then I started to really you know, know what, it, what know what I had to do, um, emotionally, knew what I had to do, how to look after myself, how to live away from the footy club, just as much as living at the footy club yeah. type stuff. So um, yeah, it took a few years, and. Um, Probably to my fourth year when I started to get some games together, and lucky enough to play in a flag as well early on, and uh, and that sort of yeah, that started of, to sort of build the trajectory. Yeah, you were drafted as a forward, weren't yep. you?
0: Yeah. Would it be fair to say you were a bit shaky in front of goals in the early
1: years? Yeah, that, and I probably just wasn't physically strong enough in terms of in the contest and that sort of thing. And as a back, you can you can sort of you know, peel off a little bit, and, and that sort of thing. Was at Ford You've always got someone you know, right up your ass and you gotta be stronger over the footy and, and all that sort of thing in it. It probably took me a little while and you know, I played a bit of halfback in my bushes here. Um, and then Mick sort of came to me after my second year I think it was and um, asked me what I'd be interested in playing. We had, you know, Shane Wakeland was getting a bit older, Jimmy Clement was, was on the way out, Presty was getting a bit older. So they probably were looking to you know develop a another tool coming through. Um, and the other and we had Trav Cloak and Dorsey there already so it was probably yeah more a necessity than to have a crack down there um and then played in the VFL my third year played VFL all year uh, and got picked up um picked to play three games that whole year and played forward in every one of them so I was <laughs> sort of sitting there going how, how, how am I gonna bloody break in this team if I'm if I'm playing forward and um, and all that sort of thing but it was a really good year to sort of learn and develop how to play that defensive mindset and defensive craft yeah. um, in a way it was probably the best thing that happened to me I was lucky to have Luke Beveridge um, Alan Richardson, these development coaches who were really really good for me, Gavin Brown and teach me how to play that role and um, come my fourth year I really hit the ground running knowing exactly how to play that position after doing a whole year of development um, in the twos which, um, which probably helped me in the long run to be honest what were Mick's strengths, and
0: how did the two of you get along?
1: Mick, no, we got along really well. Um, you know, we've, I haven't seen him for a couple of years now with all the COVID stuff. But we, we usually have a, a premiership reunion most most years, or, or a lunch, and all we'll catch up. And he's a great fella, Mick. He, you can always chat to him and give him a call whenever. Um, when he was there, you probably weren't. You know, probably not as close as what you you think. Where he's a head coach, but he's a really good manager of all the other coaches and. Putting his message across to those coaches and, and wanting them to run certain parts where he'd almost, is almost like in, in a sense soccer, the manager in soccer, who they sort of, you know, they, they look over the whole squad and, and that sort of thing. They're not, you know, too personal with too many, but he really good at just making the assistant coaches do what he wants to do, wants them to do um, and run it that way, where he gives them a lot of, a lot of voice. And one thing I learned from him was, um, is yeah, he didn't try to do it all himself. He sort of tried to really lean on other guys as well. Now, big games are
0: one thing, and you would have been used to those. But making a grand final on a whole different level, I imagine. What was that week like? The build-up, the media focus, and getting ready for St Kilda.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, you you grow up watching grand finals every every September, and um, seeing the massive crowd at, at the game more than anything. You don't really see what goes on during the week, and then during the week we had you know, twenty thousand people at training, um, you know, watching watching training and on the. Well, we trained three times so every session there was literally 10 to twenty thousand people there to torch and, train. and the last one was just phenomenal because it was going into the parade so you sort of go out there for a quick kick around you literally feel like you're floating on air when you're running out there um everyone's there watching you know the sun was a beautiful spring day and then we go into the go into the, the parade after that and you're sitting in the back of a Hilux and you know going going along the streets and seeing people out of windows and, and all this sort of stuff it was it was an unbelievable experience and one that Unless you sort of go through it yourself, it's really hard to sort of explain to people what it what it's like. Um, but one that I'm very very lucky to to have had, um, and yeah. yeah, something you don't take for granted, that's for sure.
0: And the game itself has obviously gone down in history. The TV pictures yeah. at the final siren show you and pretty much everyone else on the ground flat on your back. Yeah, what was going through your mind in that
1: moment? Uh, I'm stuffed. I don't know if we can go up again, do we? <laughs> <laughs> it was that was like I've said it to a few people that. That was the hardest physically taxing game I've ever played in that draw. It was a really warm day from from memory, and um, it was just just a really really good game, hard contested types game of footy, and everyone was just buggered. I think everyone just thought at the time that, geez, do we are we. Are we playing again, or are we coming back next week? It was sort of no one really knew. It was really quite. Was, funny it the, was it the
0: one outcome that you you don't really prepare for?
1: Well, yeah, probably. I mean, I think everyone had their footy trip booked for a week later, so <laughs> um, no one really, no one really would think, oh, it's going to be a draw. We'll come and then come back the next week and play. You literally think you go. to your last game of the year. I, th- I remember, I can't remember who it was, but I was sort of just saying, oh, did we go again, or is it? I think Maximo even thought we we're going to play another quarter, but it was obviously it's a, it's a draw or, or whatever. Um, so I had the draw, and then we, you know, they were really good. We got straight straight into the rooms after the game, um, and then we went. And we actually went to the grand final function after it. So I don't think St Kilda did it, but we did. We just thought, you know, it's a good opportunity to go and relax, see our family after a, a tough day, yeah. Go and see everybody, enjoy each other's company, and then regroup come Monday and get ready to go again. So that's that's how it happened. And the next week um, was almost the opposite to the first week, where yeah, we had some people who training, but there was no grand final parade. So it was a lot more of a normal week like yeah. straight from training the day before the game you you end up just going home and um having your lunch and then getting ready for the game instead of going and doing two or three hours of parades
0: yeah
1: so it was um yeah a lot different how did you celebrate
0: winning the replay
1: yeah hard yeah we we celebrated pretty hard we, we only had probably three or four days to be honest because um sean had his wedding over in um bali so a fair few guys had to fly off um to bali and there was other guys like myself we had a we had a holiday to go over there anyway so most of them changed their holidays till that next Thursday Friday so we had what's that Saturday four, four or five days of, of partying and you, know, you do all the grand final memorabilia stuff as well so it's it's a pretty full-on three or four days and then we went over the Bali and of course caught up over there and carried on a little bit more so yeah it was a really good time and yeah look, it was yeah awesome
0: <laughs> I think I'm right in saying there was a conversation between you and Nick Maxwell and he gave you some advice or some home trees about what it's really going to take if you want to make it as an AFL footballer. Yeah,
1: that was um, about round seven or eight that year. So we were playing, um, I think I played, I would would have been playing my third or fourth game for the year, I think it was. We played against Brisbane up in Brisbane and um, Jonathan Brown and Fev, obviously, were Brisbane then. Um, And I came in and, to be honest, I think I had six kicked on me by um, Brownie and I was, you know, I learned more playing on him that day than I learned on you know, in the next twenty-five games, whatever it was. And he uh and, you know, we ended up losing anyway and um, went back to the hotel and your you tiles between your legs a little bit and I jumped in the lift and I just wanted to go to my room. Um, and I sort of got in the lift and the doors about to close and then all of a sudden I see his hand come through, I went, Oh, you're joking, who's this? And it's Maxi. I'm going, all right. I- so he's come in and he so sort I of said, Hey you feeling? And I said, oh, yeah, not great, mate, blah, blah blah and he goes, pretty much just me between the eyes and said, look, if you want to play on this back six, you've got to learn to play on these big guys. Otherwise, you, you know, you're going to be out of the side pretty quickly. And yeah, you know, it hit me. between. And I've always been one to, to want advice straight between the eyes. I never wanted to you know, have it sprinkled to me or anything like that. I just wanted to be told straight up what I had to do, blah, blah, and you know, he told me straight away, and he, and, he, um, and that probably changed my whole mindset. I started to work you know, twice as hard with Max Hudson, who was our defense, one of our defensive coaches there then. Me and Nathan Brand did a lot of work with him. And um, and then the next week out, I, I came and had a really good game. And that probably started, you know, the, the upward curve, I suppose you'd call it, to playing some better footy and being able to be a part of it, you know, which was a really good back six or seven for the next two or three years. So the point he really
0: wanted to get across was, I want you to play your role and really concentrate on that.
1: Yeah, play your role and, um, and just never give up, basically. And learn a little bit more about other players and that sort of stuff. So he was... Instrumentally, in might have development as well, Maxi, and uh, that's why he was such a good leader. He, he never shirked an issue or whoever it was with, whether it was Mick, whether it was you know, a rookie coming in, he'd always be fr- upfront and honest with him, which I think is the only way you can go about it. You can't just sit there and you know, bullshit people. you got to be you know, straight up with them. Yeah, You
0: had a good run, I think, four or five years where you played 20-plus games, yep. and then other years where injuries were a bit more of a hurdle for you. When you knew that you were going to have to spend a bit of time on the
1: sidelines, how did
0: you sort of process that and deal with it to work through it?
1: Yeah, like I probably got better at it as, as I as I you know, had a few more injuries. When I first started, I, I was getting I get really really upset, really down, um, struggled a little bit to sort of see any light at the end of the tunnel, and you know everything was you know why me, why me, why me, and all that sort of thing. And and as I sort of got, I suppose I suppose when I got a few more injuries, I started to sort of go and speak to people and work out you know, how how can I turn this into a positive. And that sort of thing, and, um, and probably to be honest, my till my last three, three, four years, where I started to actually, you know, use it to go and help younger guys um, and try and speak to them a little bit about things. Even if it was guys who got injured and help them out with some recovery stuff, and um, that's probably the way I tried to do it. I'm um, trying to help some guys out with their footy stuff, and guys like Mark Keenan, um, who was it from Ireland, came over and try and help him out with some stuff. Uh, Darcy Moore when he first got there, tried to help him out with as much stuff as I could. So. You try and, you know, as much as you you are down and you want to get out there and play, you still gotta try and t- you still gotta realize there's a team there and you gotta try and even if it's a one percent help, so be it. And you try and do that. So that's that's what I tried to do and you know, that was that was probably the one thing that I learned as we were going that you can have more ways to help a group if you're not out there. How did ballet help you? Ballet, um, wasn't so much ballet it was sorta. Of, it's sort of funny story everyone thought i was going and putting on a tutu and dancing around and <laughs> doing all these sort of things i actually to be honest it was just about their strength and conditioning program it was when i went in there there was a girl that would have been a lady she would have been you know probably five foot five and about 40 kilos a light as a feather and she was doing this exercise and the, and the lady who was taking through exercise joking you could do that and i thought yeah i could do that and was, i've right and done it and i was literally shaking the whole time the whole time it was that hard and you sort of got a real really um sort of appreciation of how strong those strong those girls are um, and the boys too like the, the stuff they do on their feet and their toes and that it's it's unbelievable and to see said in person you sort of don't realize the sort of training they do but it helped me in terms of um, little muscles that you probably didn't know you had to activate and that sort of thing and, and it really did help me even though towards the end of the year what you know people say I didn't play too many senior games i was playing a lot of afl footy in my last two years so I was still probably playing 15, 16 games a year, but it was four or five in the seniors and you know, seven or eight, nine in the um, in the two. So um, in terms of that, it did help me and some stuff I still use now, um, but I have little niggles, I, I go back and use it. She ended up being in our uh, strength and conditioning program for uh, probably the last four or five years. I'm not sure if she's still there now. I know she was there last year, um, but she said guys like who have had soft tissue in the past, like Jamie, All- Jamie Elliott, Darcy Moore, um, did a lot of stuff with Tom Langdon, um, Daniel Walsh did a lot of stuff with. And even even guys who, who have little niggles, like Pendle Caesar, um, so, so people like that just um, drop in and see her and, and she can tidy him up a little bit. Like that's the way she used to, to phrase it, yeah.
0: Talk to me a bit about Bucks. He was your coach for the best part of 10 years. How did he get the best out of players and um, how much did you enjoy playing for him?
1: Yeah, look, Bucks at the start, I think um, he probably, uh, what's the word, he probably tried to do too much of his own terms where well, I think he got better at the end. He got an understanding of every player is a lot different. At the start, he, he might have thought that you know had to, everyone had to be this certain way where he he got better as he you know, started looking at the players' strengths and playing in those positions. And there was no, there was no surprise that it went from you know, 2016, 17 were pretty average years to 18 playing in a, a grand final. So you know, he his whole development got better and better. I actually think he's probably coaching the best of his coaching when he's been given the the flick, I think he's his last sort of two or three years he was probably coaching better than he had before. But it's you know, it's AFL footy. Um, if you don't get the wins of the board it changes. But look, I think a lot of learn a lot of stuff with Bucks um, in terms of you always gotta work hard to earn your opportunity and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, I learned that probably when he was playing more than anything. I mean he was thirty five whatever it was in my first year, um, played a year with him and to see the way he trained as a thirty five year old and how, you know, how um, he was just almost anal about everything he did. Uh, it made you know you got to work pretty hard at this. And there's no, no surprise why he was such a champion in the game, footy-wise. You pick up bits and pieces from him in that respect. And then, and coaching-wise, you know his philosophy was you know being really good in the contest and and that sort of thing. And um, you know I learned a lot off him as well. And you try and pick up as much as you can from anyone. So he was fantastic. And um, yeah, I was, I was sort of a little bit surprised that he he got given the flick, I thought they might've given it a little bit longer but he um to the end of the year, but it is what it is and I'm sure he'll uh I'll surely go on to do good things. I can't see him staying out of footy for that long for maybe,
0: maybe that illustrates that you know what's really going on behind the scenes. You see where a coach is at and, and his strengths and what's portrayed in the media or on social media and headlines can be quite different to that.
1: Yeah, well, I think I mean you know, any any you know, media and, and that sort of thing uh you know, a lot of the time you don't know the full story. You know, There's m- most things that, you know, when I go across all my years in footy, that most of the things that was said, you know, most of it was probably wrong. Um, in terms of what they actually said happened and, or, or what was happening inside, couldn't be any further from it. There was times where they are saying, oh, I was a massive breakdown inside the club. We were just losing games of footy. Um, we just weren't playing good footy. We had, a, we had a great time all together in there, but we were just losing. And, and losing creates negative stuff that gets printed. Um, and then people just start making new assumptions about what's going on Where, and the other side of things, winning can hide cracks um, you, know, you could be winning all the time but there's little things going on that might not rear a Ted at that time but will rear a Ted down the track so it is, it is, a lot of stuff goes on inside footy clubs that no one ever no one ever sees, um, which is a good thing because if everyone saw what was going on inside AFL clubs and you know, I think it would be pretty crazy the media then but yeah, look, it's it's one of those things that you, you learn to deal with the more footy the more years you're playing it, you start to realise that, you know, what what they're saying is pretty irrelevant to be honest. It doesn't doesn't matter what any media person says or any newspaper says about the footy club or how the team's playing, how a player's playing. None of that really matters. The only stuff that really matters is what's going on in the four wall, four walls around your footy club.
0: Do you think it's any harder these days for players to ignore that kind of stuff because with social media, if someone thinks you've played a bad yeah. game, you're, <laughs> you're going to see about it. Whereas 20 years ago, you would have needed to pick up a paper or turn on the TV to get that
1: kind of feedback. Oh, it's. I mean, in a way, it's Instagram, social media is the best thing to happen for a lot of things, but it's the worst thing as well um, in terms of the way you know people's mental health is, and you know, it's a big talking point now. Um, I think social media's got a massive role that's been played in that. Um, you, know, you can go from footy to everyday life stuff, You know, how people think they should look, all that sort of stuff. It's, it plays a massive role. And You, know, you play a bad game, all you got to do is look at your phone and you'll have you know, 10, 20 inboxes <laughs> from someone telling you how bad you played. You know, thanks Einstein, I didn't realise that I played a crap game. But um, it's, it's funny, some guys deal with it really well um, and take almost laugh at it. Like dance Swan was the best I'd ever seen at it. It's funny he would just laugh at it, and sometimes he'd ride back and say, you know, something funny to him. And, uh it was the best I'd seen. though Where other guys would get really down on it um, and sort of hit him really hard, and you know, look, everybody just wants to be sort of loved in a way. Um, but yeah, you get everyone's a, um, everyone's, a, I suppose, a a reporter when it comes to social media now. Um, Did you take it to heart what people thought of you? Some, sometimes you would. I mean, you're, you're not going to lie and say, oh, nothing ever got to me. Sometimes things did, and then other times you sort of have a laugh at it. Um, you know, it's it depends. It depends on the moment and, and what's happening. And, and as I got older, to be honest, I couldn't really give a stuff what anyone thought of me. You know, whether whether I was saying anything bad about me or good about me, I couldn't really care. Um, but when you're younger, you certainly you just want to know that you you know played well, or and you don't want to know if you played bad. But yeah, you, you, you learn to you learn to deal with it the more you, you stay in the system. And I think a lot of guys who can deal with that sort of stuff, end up you know, end up sort of in a pretty good place where other guys probably don't deal with it, you know, not so much.
0: Now that you're starting on your own coaching journey, which we'll speak a bit more about in a minute, how have you seen coaching methods or styles change over the course of your career and the way that coaches might speak or interact with players now?
1: Yeah, like I think from, as we were saying before with Nick, being a real um, manager type thing and relationships weren't probably a massive thing back then. I think these days relationship coaching is, is probably one of the big ones and just making these relationships work with the players, um, creating um, an environment where guys can sort of thrive and enjoy themselves and um, you know, have fun is probably a big word they try and use now is having fun while you do it. And at the same time, keeping professional. So I think it has changed from where it was probably a bit more you know, straight down the line to you. you know, they weren't hiding any truth, so I'll tell you exactly how it is, to now where yeah, they might have to cuddle, cuddle players a little bit more, and um, not whack them as hard as what they used to um, back in the day. So it's it's shifted it's shifted a fair bit. Um, and and at the same time, there's a lot more support networks at footy clubs now too. So that all the coaches basically would have you know, a list of guys they can look after and, and that sort of thing. And um, you, know, you know, if, if you're my and my development coach or my backs coach, I can go and talk to you about anything. and you're almost someone for me to lean on where um, it's, that's just changed over the years and just got better and better. So now I think, yeah, as I said, it's, it's about creating relationships and, um, and creating an enjoyable environment.
0: You had to really graft and show patience in terms of your opportunity at Collingwood, which we touched on, um, and I guess that would have built real resilience and, and you knew that you had to work hard to earn something. To some degree, do you think that's different with younger players now?
1: I think so. I think, um, especially in the last, you now what are we at? Yeah, I'd say the last five or six years, it it's it slowly got to a point where now, yeah, you know, which it, it's a good thing and a bad thing. They think they should be playing senior footy straight away. Um, which if you're not striving to play senior footy straight away, then you're not doing the right thing anyway. But at the same time, you still probably, is sometimes you still got to do your do your time and um, learn your craft. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, An apprenticeship almost. Yeah, almost, yeah. And I think guys who... I mean, even guys like people... Look, Scott Pendlewood, for example, played a lot of Williamstown for Williamstown. Um, Sidey played a lot of um, VFL footy early on as well. And Nathan Brown, who I played, played a lot of VFL footy. Nick Maxwell played a lot of VFL footy. Um, These guys back then, that was almost the norm. You come and do your apprenticeship in the VFL, then you go and do it, where... Yeah, they still do, they probably get a little bit more antsy when they're not playing and that sort of thing. And, I mean, it took me yeah, three or four years to crack in and that was that was, that was was pretty normal sometimes, guys that take three or four years to, to crack in, especially being talls. And these days I think, you know, they, they're more equipped, ready to come in and ready to play straight away, so that's maybe why they think they should be playing. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you still got to do your, do your penance and, um, and try and... Uh, Try and work, work for this opportunity more than get handed it because at the end of the day, if you work harder for it and then you get it, it'll feel a lot better to you than if it just gets handed to you on a, on a golden platter.
0: So when you knew that your time in the AFL was coming to an end, how much did you have to think about the next step and, and how big a decision was that as to what's my life going to look like after this?
1: Yeah, yeah a little bit. I'm, I mean, I, I probably thought, to be honest, I probably thought I might have finished up 12 months earlier than what I did. So at that point, I was probably thinking, you know, what am I going to do now? You know, I bought a property up in Bright, so I thought, yeah, you know, always we'll move back there, we'll we'll start our next phase of our life up there, and I got another 12 months on my co- contract, so I didn't really put any um, any ceiling on what might happen that year or where it might go. I just I thought, you know what, if if it goes really well, and i get another 12 months. Great. If it doesn't go well, then this is the last year. Um, so I used that I used that year really as a bit of a I suppose a stepping stone to go in the next phase, and we are trying to get, we sold a place in Melbourne, we rented out another place in Melbourne, we are trying to rent, trying to work out when we can move into to our place up in Bright, and that sort of thing. So that's what we put in place. We wanted to get a business going up in Bright, so we looked at places we could, we could buy during the year there, um, which we were able to do, and then, once we got into that, yeah, that when I went, you know, what I am done here. Um, when I did that last calf, I went, no, nah, that's it. I'm done. I'm, you know, that's I can't do anymore. I'm, I'm sick of the injuries. I'm, uh, I'm mentally exhausted from it all. Um, I'm done. So I walked into my, into our hub room, the in the hotel room, and wife, and she's like, what's wrong? and I went, it's done. Me calf, I'm done. And she goes, oh, what's are you doing? I said, no, nah, I'm done. So, went down and spoke to Bucks and. Said mate, I'm done. You guys did you want to have anything think about? It? I said no, nah, I'm done. <laughs> you got to go to Perth tomorrow for a, for a final. So I said I'm not going to go across, mate. It's you know, I feel like if I if I went across there and lied to you and and said oh I'm right to go, then I know I'll ping it in the first training session, and you could have it pulled over another bloke from here who who potentially might play or might not play, but at least he gets the opportunity to travel with the team. So yeah, called it that quarter quits then, and that's when I started to get ready for the next phase, and um, I've enjoyed it.
0: So now that you're back in Bright, married to Erin, after that feeling of being mentally exhausted, how are you finding life now, this new chapter?
1: It's good, I mean, to be honest, the first six months, uh, first year, first six months, I took off pretty, I didn't do much at all. I um, just wanted to chill out in Bright and relax and go fishing and um, have a few beers with mates I haven't been able to have a few beers with for a while, so um, to catch up with all them. And and then I obviously got involved at Wang. Um, It's just been a nice, I suppose fresher in a way. Life's a bit slower up in the country. Um, it's not as hectic as the city. It takes me, you know, it takes me 45 minutes to get to Wayne, but it used to take me 45 minutes to get to Lexus Centre from um, from Brighton. So, <laughs> and you're only travelling on 10k. So, um, I've enjoyed it. It's uh, it's something that, you know, I probably knew I would enjoy because after being a country boy, but, um, you know, getting back involved with the footy club here has made me really fall in love with footy to, again and and that sort of thing. So yeah.
0: How do you reflect on the first year in the O&M
1: then? I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I, I was I was probably surprised of how much quality there is running around in it. Um, you know, I did follow it from afar when I was down in Melbourne, but until you're actually there and at training and um, seeing how guys run and um, seeing what players are playing in the league, um, you know, it's it's a really strong league. It's in a really good place. So I really enjoyed it. I, I love the, the community feel with it. You know, even when we played Rovers across the road, there are enemies, but as soon as you know we finish the game, we're upstairs having a beer with them. Um, so all that sort of stuff you love and um, it's obviously not quite as serious as the AFL um, but it's still serious enough where you've know, you still got to put some hard work into it to get the results you want.
0: And the conversation around coaching which saw you take the reins from Dean Stone for the next two years, was that a gradual thing or was it something that you were always keen to do?
1: I've always I've always liked the development side of things with with boys and um, trying to develop their footy and, and that sort of thing. I did a bit of stuff in the bushes this year which I really enjoyed as well um and they sort of approached me halfway through the year and you know having a sort of i suppose me and sony did a fair bit together during the year anyway uh and a lot of it came down to if he was going to stay on as an assistant with me because i think he's great the way he gets around the boys and and helps them out so he was a massive reason why i decided to do it because he was going to stay on um if he didn't stay on then i'm not sure if i would have or not Um, i might have but i still would have had to have you know some support there you know, I'm pretty new into the role there's probably a lot, there's a lot of things I'll learn on the go um, and he's he's the guy there to help me with that and lean on him and, and touch base with him when I can so that'll be um, looking forward to working with him and the group of coaches we have there and you know, Dale Carmody, John Henry, um, Dave Fay is now, Justin McMahon um, so we've got a really good group of coaches there hmm. um, that I think will, will benefit each other and, and help me as well stepping into a, a whole new role and if someone said to me you don't know what's going to happen until you get in the driver's seat so until I'm, until I'm probably into that first game it'll probably just feel like I'm doing what I normally do and then the first game will probably hit me between the eyes a bit but I'm looking forward to it In terms of the strength of the comp, Albury were unbeaten last year Rovers at their best
0: looked incredibly strong Myrtleford have been recruiting just to mention three, how do you see it playing out next year?
1: I think it'll be tight again I think you know, from what guys were telling me last year um, have not had a lot, great deal to do with the pride of that it was a more even competition, um, which is what you want. You want as even competition as you can. You want you know, five, six teams to be able to win the flag. You don't want you know, one or two, three teams every year to be able to win it. Um, it's important for the region to have five, six teams that can win it. And, and I think I think next year, as you just the, the names you just read out, um, I think they're all certainly a chance to, to win one. Um, and it's going to be, I think, about teams gel together the best and um and which teams are informed at the right time of the year i think it'll be yeah a tight tight season which is great you happy with your list we are yeah we're really happy i mean we've like i said we've been able to get mostly guys from last year in terms of our senior squad signed up um, and we've added jackson clark and uh, and lee mcvay from west preston and those two um will add a lot to us uh, they're both senior footballers from down there 24 years old so they're right in that right age bracket um, and, and Jax is moving back here and he's got leadership written all over him in terms of the way he goes about it and the way he carries himself. So, um, yeah, really happy with that. And But in saying that, at list is only one thing, it's about doing the work and, and we'll get stuck into that tonight.
0: Any more irons in the fire in terms of your recruiting?
1: Um, not 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 too much at this stage. You will always, you know, suss it out. we still got, you know, um, some guys, I suppose, who we spoke to and, and haven't got back to us or that sort of thing. But, at the moment, mate, it's, we'll, we'll get stuck into this and we're pretty happy with what we've got. Um, if we get anything else, it's just a bonus.
0: Which player or which players excite you about their potential for this season?
1: Look, Joe Richards really excites me purely because he's only about 21 years old. Someone said to me, you need another midnight, and I said, well, you know, Joe's only 21 years old, so his best footy is probably still two or three years away in terms of his body and, his, and that sort of thing. So he really excites me the way he goes. And the best thing about Joe is he does the work all the time. So he excites me more than more than most. Um, you yeah, know, seeing another year of Calmore, Abe Ankers coming back as well. Um, it'd be really good to see those two go again. Um, yeah, even some younger guys um, in the team. Lukey Saunders last year had a really good year at halfback, so I think he, he can go to another level this year. Um, and then there's there's going to be opportunity. I mean, Benny Spate's gone, um, Josh Porter's gone, so there's going to be opportunity for guys to step in and have a crack. And there's certainly some young guys there, whether it's through the thirds or the twos. That, um, that hope they can really stake a claim and, and play in that, that team come round one. Clearly having success at senior level, it's pretty
0: high on your list of priorities, but at, at a club like Wangaratta, how aware are you of what else is going on around you, whether it be the netball section, the other grades of football, the committee, the people behind the scenes and making sure that this is one club?
1: Yeah, I think, I think especially at community sport, you need to have an inclusive club and everyone do things together. Like we'll, we'll try and have a few things this year, whether the netballers join the footballers for a Saturday session. Um, and it might be a, you know, a little circuit, or it might be a, you know, a run or, or something like that where we all just do it together. It doesn't mean we're going to break records, Well, that's just about getting together and, and having a bit of, a, bit of fun. You know, we might do a netball trainer session and go against the netballers, like, you know, stuff like that. So it might be just things where we can have a laugh with each other and just bring everyone together. That's probably the most important thing. And as I said, you want to be successful at every level. So the reserves, we want to be at the top of the ladder. We want the seniors there, we want the thirds there, we want the, all the netballers there. Um, if everyone can aim to go as high as they can and you fall short, well, you fall short, it doesn't matter, at least if, if he's aimed for as high as he can go.
0: Ben, good luck for the year ahead. It'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out and thanks again for coming on the podcast.
1: Beautiful. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for me.
0: That's all for now. Thanks for listening. To keep up to date with all the latest sports news, like us on Facebook at Bordermail Sport.